0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad.
2: Because it's getting ready to be on. I
1: want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath. That I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report
2: with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder
1: Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger, my rollerblading blonde Mohawk
2: producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast.
1: I'm an adult. I know what I'm about.
3: Last night, even though the Bills lost, and yes, their scheme, if you will, in the last 13 seconds of regulation, a touch-off, to say the least, but Allen's the man. He's not just your man, he is the man. But it's the 17-play drive. It's that one, where he not only converted three third downs and two fourth downs, and that two-point conversion, and the touchdown, but he... Carried it five times himself. Congrats, Bills fans. You've got one of the best in the league and maybe one of the all-time best. How many times can you say that about somebody? He is one of the all-time best within the first five years of, of his drafting. You can see what he's doing that in this game today that you need to run, you need to throw, you need to be smart, you need to be accurate. Remember that, too? He wasn't accurate. But Bills fans, I know you're bummed today, but just you got a winner. Oh my God, you have a winner. And you got some guy who will not give up. And you know, you know, that's the only way the Chiefs could have won last night was to win that toss and take it down and win that game in overtime because he was coming for you again.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Report podcast. (laughs) You're already laughing at me. I am your host, Bill. Season ticket older, Drew Gear. And that's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Rich Eisen of the Rich Eisen Show from NBC's The Peacock Network. Um, Talking about our quarterback, Josh Allen. Woof. (laughs) Bills fans, your game outcome. Woof. (laughs) Guys, I'm in a relatively good mood right now. I. I don't know how. I don't know why. Chris, I expected to be much angrier when I saw you. I've had a day. The last, last, I want to call it 36 hours and change, has been a a ride. Is that fair?
2: Yeah. I mean, you weren't kidding last week when you talked about the damage that could be done to your liver based on what would happen on Sunday. And, man.
1: Chris, you're... Mark sent you and I a picture of the chair where I was sitting at his house.
2: Yeah, it's just covered in Little Debbie snack cakes and circus peanuts.
1: Miller, Four empty Miller Highlifes, a moose head, a crushed IPA can. It was bad.
2: Yeah. it was <laughs> when, I, when I left work Sunday, because I got off work at 7 Sunday night, and as soon as I cleared through our security entrance... I just ran, and like other people that are like leaving, because you know it's a giant plant. Everybody was like, "Run! <laughs> run, Forrest! Run! Run!" run! <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I got to get to Lancaster."
1: Ah, uh, folks, we're here to talk about the end of the Buffalo Bills season. Uh, we're Chris. We're here to recap the AFC Divisional Round game. The end of the Bills 2021 season, 22 season. Um, I mean, obviously, we've got more content coming, right? Correct. The, 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 tonight, I, I promised this to our listeners that there would be a night where you and I could sit here and drink beer and laugh and console each other and talk about the season that we had this year. Tonight's not that night either, guys. Now, tune in next week and pretty much every week afterwards, because uh, you mentioned this. People seem to forget that when this thing ends, we don't stop. Yeah, we're gonna have. Uh, if only because I'm my wife doesn't. She, she, my wife gets used to having me out of the house for a night. Yeah, not just yelling about sports,
2: <laughs> yelling at her about sports. But yeah, Ta-
1: talking at her is one of her favorite ways to describe it.
2: Yeah, I mean, off the top of my head, like salary cap, got to go over that. Free agency preview, uh, roster construction. Who who we lose in? Uh, the, the the free agency stuff is I hate the most because I want to say three of the six years that we were three of the five years that we've been covering free agency stuff. There's always been a guy like low level that you're like, hey, we need to target this guy and we go out and sign that guy. It's definitely irritating. And then all of because
1: <laughs> you hate seeing yeah. me be be right about anything.
2: Yeah, and then of course all of our draft content, you know you got to know what's happening with the, it's one of the, beauties the position of going, groups. Well, it's
1: one of the beauties of going deep into the season. Yeah. Like, when you make the playoffs, all of a sudden, by the time your season ends, you're looking around going, wait a minute, there's stuff on the horizon. So, we're not going anywhere, folks. And, But, but, but it would be premature of us to even have any conversations about any of that stuff without talking about Sunday's game. So, this is our AFC Divisional Round Recap. The Buffalo Bills... They dropped this one to the Chiefs by a score of 42 to 36. And here are what I'd like to think are your stats of the game Patrick Mahomes, 33 of 44 for 75%, 378
2: yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, two sacks, and a 123 QBR. I believe it's 177 of that 378 came in the final two minutes.
1: Yeah. Josh Allen, 27-37, 73%, 329, four touchdowns, no picks, two sacks, and a 136 rating. Mahomes, zero passing attempts of more than 20 air yards, thriving almost solely on the short and intermediate game. Josh Allen, 3-of-3 for 121 yards and three touchdowns when throwing 20 or more yards downfield between the hashes. Mahomes, 177 yards after the two-minute warning. Wide receiver Tariq Hill. 11 of 13 for 150 and one touchdown. Gabe Davis, 8 of 10, 201, four touchdowns, an NFL record performance. NFL playoff record performance. Wide receiver Stefan Diggs, three of six for seven yards, all of which came in the first half of the football game. His four targets against defensive back, Charverius Ward, one reception for one yard. Punts? Kansas City 2, Buffalo 4. Bill's linebackers, 18 targets, 184 yards allowed in coverage, one touchdown. The Chiefs defensive line, 12 tackles, 3 tackles for a loss, and 2 sacks. Right tackle Spencer Brown, a game-high 6 pressures allowed, and was the lowest-rated run blocker on either team. 13 seconds, Chris. It's it's funny when you think about 13 seconds in the context of that entire day. I it I, we're all at Mark's house. Iman's there, finally doing This is the first time we've hung out with Iman outside of tailgating.
2: Dot. Uh, On that, I showed up midway through the second quarter and apparently no one at the party wanted to mention to Iman's wife what a dickhead you are to watch a game with.
1: Oh, yeah, no, it caught her wildly off guard. Uh, Doug, Doug made a hilarious reference <laughs> that you missed where he referred to uh, Jackson Mahomes as the Tito Jackson. Of the- <laughs> yeah, he's Tito Jackson. That's, that's his problem. <laughs> it was, it might have been one of the funniest things anyone said during the course of the game. You just think about the context of th- that one moment, when you look at it in totality of what your day was, I don't, I don't know where you all were as you're listening to this, what you were doing over the course of those four quarters. I know where we were, Chris. We were in Mark's living room, and after that last touchdown pass, the place erupted. There, there was a group hug in the living. Room. Chris, you're not an emotional guy, and you were in there.
2: Yeah, we all hugged everybody. Everyone got COVID.
1: <laughs> I love how your. I love how that's your. No one got COVID. He's joking. And then just to know that that moment of euphoria just gives away to this gut wrenching despair. That's it. That's how long it took for all of that to unravel. And to me personally, I, when I look at this philosophically, I, I think of that 13 second span as just a microcosm of our larger and maybe more meaningful struggles when it comes to going up against teams with superior coaching. I mean, if you want to look at both sides of the ball, I mean, here it is. I'm, I'm listening for, on the offensive side. I'm listening to a spot earlier this week on WGR. And they were talking to this gambling expert from their sister network or whoever shares the other side of their network with them now. It used to be ESPN Radio. They lost ESPN Radio. Now it's the BetQL Network. So they had one of the analysts from the BetQL Network onto their show. And they were talking about the gambling odds and the prop bets and all the things involved with this game. And the expert that they had on said, and I, this is stuck in my head ever since the game ended, whichever team can force three punts is probably going to win the football game. Well, we punted four times and they punted twice. Like that's, that, I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even know what to do with that. And when you look at the drives that we punted, there's some, there, there is some questionable stuff there. If you want to talk about who is the brains behind this operation, let, let's break it down. In the second quarter, there's a pass attempt to Reggie Gilliam for one yard. Right before Spencer Brown misses a block and forces Allen to try to navigate a dirty pocket, which ends in almost a strip sack. Luckily, Allen gets his fumble back. On that drive, no one was open or targeted more than 10 yards downfield. On that drive, we threw passes of 3 yards, 5 yards, 1 yard, 8 yards, and that Reggie Gilliam pass for 1 yard. 18 total passing yards on five attempts. You punt the ball and Reed Ferguson goes down there and downs it at the one yard line. And you say to yourself, all right, cool. We didn't get points, but it's the field position battle. Kansas City responds with a 99 yard touchdown drive involving two 20 plus yard plays because they're looking in the intermediate area. They say, listen, we're not challenging these safeties. No, 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 no. We're going to pick on these linebackers. We're going to spread everybody horizontally, and we're going to use our speed and our size at the tight end position. We're going to work these guys. And that's exactly what happened through the gr- on the ground, through the air. They, they get a holding a timely holding penalty, and next thing you know, they're in the end zone. You go to the third quarter. We get the ball after Kansas City kicks a field goal. And in three plays, we design passes only to the line of scrimmage. Gilliam, Singletary, and McKenzie. Net nine total yards and you punt the football. Horrific play design. You Chris, remember the argument that broke out in the living room when I was just like, I don't understand, and everyone kept trying to convince me that this was a smart idea. Oh, well, you know, they're trying to diversify the attack and bah, 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 bah. You're what you're doing is you're highlighting players who are not. Here, here's a phrase that will never be uttered, Chris. And I will drink a Seagram's every time it is. Oh, man. Did you see that amazing catch by Reggie Gilliam?
2: I remember. Uh, did you see that amazing throw to uh, DeMarco? <laughs> Similar thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a phrase that will never be uttered because it's a fullback. Okay. When you have as many weapons as we do, right? I could see if you're a team who's somewhat limited, Like, I look at Kansas City and I say, hey, look, look at, they don't, Chris, they don't have any wide receivers with size. They don't have all one. Byron Pringle's not a big guy. Tariq Hill's not a big guy. So you have to get a little bit creative with how you use them because in space, they're weapons, but they're not going to win jump balls. So I understand that. But when you're the Buffalo Bills with this stable of offensive talent, wasting an entire drive targeting the line of scrimmage. This seems like sacrilege. It seems like malpractice practice to me. I just... I don't know how else to describe it. You pump the ball, Kansas City responds in five plays with another touchdown. Now you're behind, again. And you go, wait a minute, so we just... We were tied, and now all of a sudden we're down by 10. On the next series, we open up the deep passing and immediately hit a 75-yard touchdown pass. I... Those two wasted possessions... I know why some people might think they're a good idea, but I I don't know. This all gas, no break approach that they took uh, took from the Jets. Well, look at that's what they tried to do in that New England game, and it worked. They just kept aggressively attacking their secondary. This secondary was worse than the one that you played last week. And yet, for some reason, you got cute. You got away from the thing that's been making you successful and you paid for it. And yet, we're, I'm supposed to what? What am I supposed to do with that? Stand here and tell you that I think Brian Dable did a great job? I I don't know. In there, there were some moments in there where you dropped the ball. And in you didn't just drop the ball because it's one thing for a drive not to work. Chris, you can have a bad drive. You can have a drive that ends in a punt, right? Yes. That happens to everybody because defensive players get paid, too. But to have a drive that ends in a punt and then have another drive that I remember seeing the graphic on the TV at one point, Kansas City had nine first downs in the third quarter and we had one. That's embarrassing. And to know that it came on the tails of you trying to essentially take your offense that had been successful for the better part of this entire season and just dominated a better defense in New England. You literally took them out of the equation and started to focus on what are the weaknesses of your own attack. It it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to me, and you're never going to convince me that it should. And I'm not out here trying to react to the outcome. My problem is with the mindset that goes into that kind of approach. Literally playing two things that are not your strengths. To me, that's inexcusable. And then when you look at the defensive side of the ball. Our corners were overmatched for man coverage. They're not athletic enough for that. There was no way that you were going to put Levi Wallace in man coverage on Tariq Hill.
2: No, there were some times where I saw him running crossing routes, and Levi's trailing him, and he's got his like left hand on his on his, the tail of his jersey. Yeah, that Just was most of the pull, night. Pulled me.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was most of the night. Because that's not a guy who athletically can hang with Tariq Hill. And the Chiefs ate up all of the soft zones that we were willing to give them. I mean, you look at the yardage that our two cornerbacks gave up. It's it's bad. It's really bad. And what's worse is that th- our linebackers fell for a lot of the eye candy and essentially got cleared out by other routes. And because of that, when they were able to hit on those crossing routes, we talked about it with EJ Snyder last week, when they hit on those crossing routes and when they hit on those things, it's what drives their offense. And we just let them have it. We we gave it to them. We couldn't do anything to stop them. Our linebackers and defensive line played a wildly disappointing game. They were a massive part of the reason we won our first matchup. And the staff tried to replicate what they did last time, right? They, they rotated all nine defensive linemen just to keep everybody fresh into the fourth quarter. But you, none of them could make enough of an impact. How many times did it look like we almost had a sack and then it just vanished? Six
2: course? or seven times.
1: That's the problem with guys like Mario Addison, and at this point in his career, Jerry Hughes, is that sure, when you if you want to look at the numbers, you know, every every stat nerd out there will tell you, oh, they're still effective players because you're getting pressure. Okay. But it's like that Colts game where Mario Addison has uh what's his stupid face? Carson Wentz, dead to rights for a sack, and then doesn't bring him down, and Wentz runs away for 12 yards. You have to have closers. And if you don't have closers, then you don't have much. Pressures are valuable, but they if you're not sealing the deal, then there's a chance that you're still a liability. And unfortunately, that's where we live. We've got a whole roster of guys who can create pressure. We've got very few guys who can commit sacks, who can make impact plays on a regular basis. And we paid the price for that. I mean I thought it was hilarious Bruce Nolan. He quote tweeted something I said about the cornerbacks because somebody said, "Oh, well, you know, in the offseason, you know, the you know they they lost Trey White and their their cornerbacks weren't athletic enough, blah 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 blah." And I said, "Look, they didn't make any they haven't made many attempts at a long-term solution to finding more athletic defensive backs. They've kept Levi Wallace. They drafted a Dane Jackson who's not the best athlete, which is why he was a 7th round pick. He just plays the position well. It's like they've They've opted intentionally not to address the athleticism in their defensive backfield. So it's to me, it's the equivalent of tying one hand behind your back and then complaining that you lost a fight. You don't. I don't have any patience for that. And Bruce quote tweeted that with essentially Chris. Why don't you read people the? It's a, it's a big circle,
2: just circular arrows. What does it say, Chris? It looks like the. It's a colorful version of the recycle logo is what it is. And it says it's fine to acquire this below average athlete at CB because we run a primary zone defense. And then it also says we can't run a more diverse mix of coverages because we have below average athletes at cornerback. (laughs) So that's
1: it. You don't get to. He gets it. So I'm not out here alone. Just some lunatic screaming into the wind. You don't get to complain to me about the things you can't do if you actively choose not to have those things. (laughs) I I just don't know what to do with that. And yet, despite the failures of each of those stabs, we still had the lead with 13 seconds left. This wasn't the Cardinals game. There was time for multiple plays and late game heroics by one of the biggest, most physical wide receivers in the NFL. This was an entire football field to go in less than 20 seconds to do it. Now, I'm not going to sit here and try to have a squib-kick debate with anyone because there's a million ways that could have gone wrong. There's a million ways that could have gone wrong. And also, I mean, Chris, you squib-kick and it goes out of bounds. 40 yards. What happens if someone gets the ball and actually makes a play? You don't want that. Yeah, I feel like
2: if They had already had a couple longer returns than I think anybody was comfortable with. I feel like if they were going to squib it and it was done perfectly... You might have gotten them at the 10, and if that returner was smart enough, you just down it to give Patrick Mahomes you know, the ball. And you would have milked a few seconds off. Yeah, like one or two seconds off. Okay, great, wonderful.
1: But when I talk about, I mean, think about this. This is where I say this is just a microcosm of the larger failure in this one play that everybody's so upset about, this one series that everyone's so upset about. I'm still upset about it. You had a multitude of options, some of which I don't even think McDermott thought about, and some decisions that genuinely blew up in our faces in the game's most critical moment. Our secondary's been getting torched all night. You could play man-press with help over the top to keep anyone loose who gets in bounds, and just run that clock, make them take their timeouts early. Grab players if you have to, Legion of Boom style. Commit PI or holding. It doesn't matter that you did it. I don't care how much yardage you gave up in the process. If you do it early enough in the route, it's still going to cost them time off the clock. And whatever that is, it's going to prevent a huge play. Also, taking those timeouts on defense when you saw their formations and trying to gamesmanship them after you get a look at their formats... This is it's damning when you go back in the aftermath of the game and hear that Andy Reid used those timeouts to see your plays and said, "Oh well, if that's their, if they think that's their best defensive play or their best defensive alignment, all right, real quick, let's improvise. Let's improvise some plays right now based on their formations." And it worked, didn't it, Chris? Yeah. That's laughably the most counterproductive thing I've ever heard. In those 13 seconds o'clock, this all-time Herculean effort of sheer will by our star quarterback got rendered irrelevant thanks to poor planning and the missteps and the miscues by the folks with headsets on that we trust to be the smartest people on the field. The generals to our players' role as soldiers. We lost this game in large part because the the guys on the sideline, to a man, they just got out-thought out-imagined out-planned out-executed by a more savvy group of individuals now you're looking at a staff that says okay i'm one in three against reed and mahomes oh and two in the postseason chris doesn't this start to feel like oh okay like, like i i hate saying this because last week was such euphoria It feels like we've gone from one glass ceiling that used to be the New England Patriots and getting outcoached by Bill Belichick. And it's almost like now that we know that we have the horses to overcome that guy and his defensive scheming. When he doesn't have a Hall of Fame quarterback at his disposal. We've run smack into another different type of uh, coaching genius and another Hall of Fame quarterback who just perpetually seem to have our number. We've we've traded one glass ceiling for a more nationally acceptable glass ceiling. <laughs> like that that feeling is frustrating, correct?
2: Yeah, it's frustrating, but I I believe this to be the this is the next version of Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. And right now we are Peyton Manning. And that's fair. I've never been more confident with this playoff run that we're gonna be in this these kinds of runs for the next ten to fifteen years as long as Josh Allen's healthy and our quarterback. And last night it just gave me more hope that Josh Allen's gonna bring this to Super Bowl. It's gonna happen the way he's been playing.
1: See, and now here's what I'll say in response to that, because I, I Chris, we're here to tell the story of what's gone on in the last forty eight hours. But for us, for our fan base, for this game, there's there's some nuance to this concept that I think needs to be talked about because I don't hear any of it, or at least I don't hear enough of it, and and it's been kicking around inside my head. In the aftermath of the game, I only tweeted once and then I put my phone away because I was afraid of what
2: else I was going to say. I that's you burned our Twitter account down to the ground for good.
1: Well, that was <laughs> it. It was listen. Do we want to immolate here or do we want to no. I tweeted out that I want Dable and Frazier, and I even said, it sucks to say Frazier. I want him out of my city tonight. We get out coached by the Chiefs every time we play him. This 13-second loss is inexcusable, and I said, I'll never forgive this coaching staff for this. And a lot of people agreed, Chris. Surprising number of people agreed with me.
2: Usually, people don't agree with you when you tweet something about the game right after it. No,
1: no. And I, I just doubled down and I said, for all, everybody doesn't agree with me. Answer me a question. Next week, Kansas City gets to play and we don't. And next season, we could lose nine players to injury instead of just one. Instead of just one star player, we could be missing four or five of them. Because this is the NFL where the injury rate is 100%. Wouldn't you want coaches who can succeed in spite of that instead of guys who fold? That was the question I asked. And I got some really engaging responses, but I just wasn't. That's the thing, Chris, is that in the aftermath of this, I wasn't really ready to have conversations about this stuff. And in truth, my head, I spent the last 36 hours going back to that. For those of you who are familiar with demotivational posters, they're those. uh, Every office, if you've ever worked in one, has crappy motivational posters that were thought up by somebody who worked in middle management once and thought they were savvy, who said, I know. I know what people want to hear that'll get the best out of them. And I'll put an inspiring image alongside of it. Chris, have you seen these?
2: We got them at work for safety. I mean, I work in a manufacturing facility, so, you know, every day we're preached safety. And okay. you look all over the facility, there's giant banners like they've yeah. won something in safety. But do they have pictures of like
1: boats sailing into the sunset or guys climbing mountains?
2: No, or- they have a football team huddle. Oh, cool. for one of them. Oh boy, yes. Yeah, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So
1: demotivational posters are essentially these, but just for sarcasm. Like, it's, they're they're sarcastic. And the one that I keep picturing, ever since the, ever since I woke up yesterday morning, is the one. It just says agony. You can Google it. Demotivational poster agony, and it's a boxer getting punched in the face, and it just says, "Not all pain is gain." Growth isn't linear when it comes to the game of football, and success for a roster or a staff, regardless of talent, isn't a given. It's not. In the aftermath of this game, so many people want to correlate pessimism or frustration with, quote unquote, being a bad fan. And I'm tired of this and because if you've been a long, if you've been around football, if you've actually been paying attention and you've been watching the game, there's evidence out there that suggests sometimes this just doesn't things just don't happen, right? The 2014 Colts, Chris. Team went 11 and 5, won the division and made the AFC title game. They lose embarrassingly to the Patriots and spend the next 3 seasons failing to break 500 after their super accurate athletic quarterback just who also took a lot of contact, which I think is something that I could almost underline with a red marker. Catches a bad injury. Then catches another one the following season. And then just unceremoniously breaks down in front of everybody. And then he's gone. He disappears. And shows up on, uh, what uh, What was that, Monday Night Football?
2: No, it was a national title game, I think. Okay. With Robert Griffin. Yes. And a true and luck on ESPN. He just
1: or probably more fitting because this is and Chris this is a question I have to field to you look at the 04 to 2011 Chargers they had not one but two periods of prolific performance featuring Hall of Fame quarterbacks they had Rivers and they had Breeze at the quarterback they had great skill position players between LaDainian Tomlinson Antonio Gates Hall of Famers Eight consecutive winning seasons and five AFC West titles. But they never even made it to the title game. They lost every single time they made it to the divisional round in single score games to Mike Tomlin and Bill Belichick. Guys who they just couldn't get over the coaching hump for. Teams that were equally hot with great quarterbacks and great coaching. That no matter how good they were inside their own bubble over there in the AFC West.
2: You run into that team, and it's just you, you just get worked. I do. I do remember the Chargers firing Schottenheimer after a fourteen and two season. Yeah, that, then, thats and, a thing that happened. Yeah, and they went to I think North North, North Turner. North Turner. But like for me, after experiencing the you know the Bills throughout my teenage years and my twenties, I would much rather have that those Chargers teams than sitting through the shit I had to sit through. For the Bills. And that's fair. And I'm not saying you're wrong for wanting that.
1: What I'm trying to point out is that it doesn't always just... You know what I mean? Chris, if if every couple years, if the formula was just, hey, get a good quarterback, get a decent defense, Super Bowl. Yeah. There would be a different team winning the Super Bowl every single season. Instead, you see it's kind of the same, like, 10 to 12 teams.
2: Yeah. I'd like to see a... You'd have to research it, but how many of the like I know Brady won it last year, but like of the last I don't know five to seven years, how many of those quarterbacks are still on their rookie deal when you can yeah. when you can throw money at the defense? Sure, I'm sure you,
1: I'm sure a huge part. Well, we've talked about it. The stat from the Ringer: no team has won a Super Bowl in the Super Bowl area uh, uh, in the Super Bowl era. era. Jesus, beer um that uh has more than twenty one and a half percent of their cap allocated to two or fewer players it th- there's a reason for that because it affects the makeup of your team why do you think Russell Wilson once he got paid all that money his team stopped going to super Bowls
2: well John what's Schne- two of them well yeah also john schneider it s- sucked at the draft boy well, yeah i mean the,
1: they, they've got problems but not having that cap there's a million reasons for it. But I guess this is what I'm I guess what I'm getting at is, guys, when you think about what else could change, this is going to be a Bills team that's going to be hard pressed to play better in the NFL postseason than they just did. You had two of the most prolific offensive performances of all time. And that wasn't good enough to parlay you into the Super Bowl.
2: Yeah, it's like the, the 2021 Bills are like the 0506 uh, Sabres. That lost to Carolina. Yeah, we like the Sabers that year against Carolina were the better team. They just weren't the better team over. I don't know. There was what uh, they lost in uh, seven games, and I guess so. Whatever, whatever. Sixty minutes times seven games is yeah. I I think the Bills were the are the better team than the Chiefs this year. But the Chiefs were better for sixty minutes.
1: Yep, for the full sixty plus. Yes, not one team was better. One team came out on top and they edged us out. I don't know what changes you can actually make that might make that different.
2: Well, I was going to say to your point of not wanting Leslie Frazier back after what he did, like, I know, like, McDermott's probably pissed about it, and then you got to sit back and say, okay, if I'm going to fire him. What's available? Well, that's the thing is, what's but, the move? And, well, w- not what's the move, but what's available. I mean, you got Fangio, Zimmer, and just today Sean Payton resigned. So you also have Dennis Allen, who's not a bad defensive coordinator. Okay. So you have those three guys that you could replace Frazier with here's if you wanted I, to.
1: Okay, but here's what I know. Like John Fina tweeted out today, he goes, obviously nobody's happy with the presser. And that's what I'm trying to get at, guys, is I'm getting all the negativity out here at the top of the show, because there's a lot to talk about here and unpack from this. Top of the show,
2: we're like a half hour in. I (laughs) know, so stick
1: with me, because this isn't all just me rambling about how we lost this football game. There's a broader point here that I feel like I have to make. And if you guys are still listening, then God bless you. John Fina tweeted out today that, you know, obviously nobody was satisfied with Sean McDermott's press conference. Obviously. Because no fan will be because, Chris, we used to stage our own press conferences because that man was walking Ambien. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to his point, he goes, you guys have no idea what gets said behind closed doors. He goes, and to be a fly on the wall in that war room, I can only imagine the conversations that are taking place after this game. Because this was it. And I'm sure it's, they're, they're smart people, Chris. They're not morons. It's not lost on them that this was a badly missed opportunity. Not just for this team, but for this entire franchise, for its history. I mean, you're talking about the potential for the next stadium, to, the next potential stadium to be coined as the house that Josh built. Yes. Kind of like Lucas Oil Stadium. Yes. You had that. It was right there at your fingertips, and you pissed it away in 13 seconds of just coaching errors and a lack of awareness. I don't know what else you want to chalk it up to, but you did it. And so now you got to deal with the fallout. One thing that I'm the fallout of this, if we're gonna end all the negativity and move on to positive conversation. Some of you out there have become really fucking insufferable. You have. I it's probably been the most frustrating thing for me in the aftermath of this. Are you talking about yourself? Well, yeah, no, I'm listen, me in my own head, it's it's a scary place in there. But there's this groundswell from within our own fan base. That wants to perceive any kind of criticism. That's why I'm I'm shocked, Chris. I'll be shocked if if two thirds of our listeners make it this far into the podcast because this movement of any criticism and any lack of positivity is quote unquote bad fandom. Anybody out there who thinks that way, let me respond to you with this: I don't know where the hell you've been or who you think you're talking to. I didn't see you at the stadium in December of 2016. When less than fifty thousand people showed up to watch the Bills play the Browns, despite the fact that we were still mathematically in the playoff picture, we won that game thirty-three to thirteen, and there was so much room. There was, were first of all, they were selling tickets online for ten dollars.
2: Was that man Manziel? I don't even know. Well, it was man- uh, call in uh, if Manziel was the starter? What because, I know is this: because that was the first game I went to. No, with it was you. not that game. It wasn't it was that not game. that game.
1: Because here's what I know about that game. Tickets were $10 on StubHub. My friend Dan, who has seasons with us, told me to sell his ticket. So I did. I found somebody to take it. And then tickets had dropped to $10 on game day, so he bought one and drove up and went to the game with us. And there was so much space in the stands that people, drunk people, were laying on the ground or laying on the bleachers taking naps at halftime because there was nobody in that place. It was atrocious. Okay, I don't remember this. Everybody has to be positive attitude. When Jeff Toole threw a 99-yard pick six against Kansas City to cost us any real shot at not being mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, that was back in like 2013. In fact, I remember coming out of the game and seeing a crumpled up Tool Time shirt. You remember they were making them? Oh yeah, like Home Improvement Tool Time. They were making those shirts. For Jeff Toole and after the game I saw one covered in mud just crumpled up and thrown underneath our truck as we were getting ready to leave and I listen with all respect and I know this makes me sound like Will Ferrell in uh, Talladega Nights you know this is a real Ricky Bobby type statement but with all due respect I love the Bills Mafia super fans that have kind of risen invisibility amongst our fan base and in some cases really carve out some celebrity for themselves in the process of the last few years and being active on social media and getting no fans and whatever, but I didn't know that any of you existed back in 2014 when Doug Marone quit on our team on new year's Eve and just threw us all into the lurch when it seemed like we were just starting to build something promising because we did our first winning season in God knows how long. I don't know where, I, I don't know where the hell any of you were. Okay. I know where I was. <laughs> it's just a year. I was just here, soaking it all in and reacting to it like a human being. I don't know where all this table-pounding for positivity and uh, mandating of good vibes comes from. And I I will admit that our fan base is probably better off for having some of that, right, Chris? Yeah. Probably better off for having people amongst us who are going, look, guys, cheer up, it's not that bad, stop being down." But don't think that just because you're on that side of the fence today that anyone who doesn't share it with you is doing something wrong. Don't be the person trying to gatekeep fandom because that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Like, <laughs> I mean, Chris, the odds are things are going to get worse rather than better, right? Uh, Statist- statistically speaking, yeah. the odds are probably... For us, it's going to get better, though. Okay. But so I I guess, I don't know, speaking from experience, a lot of us have been out here so long and taken so many blows to our fandom that the fact that we're still here speaks to our commitment. So don't tell me how to be (laughs) and don't, don't, don't say that to anybody else. I mean, I've got family members that I'd like to headbutt sometimes. And in some cases I have, and that doesn't mean I don't love them. Doesn't mean I won't go to war for them. In fact, I think it speaks volumes right volumes that some people are willing to commit their time to seeing the whole picture on a situation, even if they don't like what it tells them and just embrace it, just embrace it. All I'm saying to you out there is that in moments like this, it's okay not to be thrilled with things and criticism isn't unwarranted. And, and it's okay to point out these things that are wrong. If it's being done constructively, Chris, I'm not sitting here telling you
2: ah, Sean McDermott sucks and should be fired. Hey, I get text messages like that. Yeah, that's usually when I'm bombed. I don't, but... Not well, from you, from somebody I used to work with. Oh, Greg Zahn? Yeah. Oh, dude, he's great. He, he was part of our, uh, he, was,
1: he was part of our festival celebration. He questioned why we allow you to talk about sports.
2: <laughs> because I don't offer up what he texts me, which is, bills are garbage, Allen sucks. <sighs> okay, like, give me context.
1: Uh, all oh, I know is, sucks. guys, in moments like this, it's okay not to be thrilled with things and give criticism where criticisms do, as long as it's done constructively. And if you can't parse the difference, one, stop that, and two, you're probably not part of our podcast audience anyway, right, Chris?
2: Yeah, we have a very uh, yeah, we- niche audience.
1: <laughs> I think that I think the, the way I framed it with Bruce, because uh, me, Bruce, and Greg were all messaging each other. On Monday about a pod, some off season podcasting ideas. And we were, t- I was just, we were talking about the overlap in all of our groups. And I told him, I go, here's the thing. You guys have done this great job of cultivating. You, you've done our fan base a service because you're producing more intelligent sports fans who pay attention to nuance and don't emotionally overreact and don't say the great, you're educating the Greg Zons of the world. Yeah, you're, you're making us a better fan base, a more nuanced fan base. And there's that's a good thing. I told him, meanwhile, our segment of the fan base, it's almost like how White Goodman describes the, the clientele of average Joe's in the movie Dodgeball. He <laughs> yeah. goes, oh, yeah, you know, it's cute. The whole he goes, he goes, no, and I love it. The whole <laughs> I'm not OK and you're not OK, but that's OK because <laughs> <laughs> we're doing it together kind of thing. We going on. None of us is OK, but it's OK, Chris as I crack my fourth beer since we started. We've only been recording for 45 minutes. I am not okay.
2: Yeah, just approaching 45 minutes. So here's the silver linings, Chris.
1: When I look at this and I say to myself, things things are still good. Our star players on defense didn't play like stars and we were missing maybe our brightest star on defense. And at the same time, we were right there. We we had the lead. We did the thing we needed to do. And if the if the Chris, if Mahomes throws throws an incomplete pass. If one of these guys gets tackled and drops the football into the field of play, we're sitting here talking about a completely different story, right? Yeah, that's how razor thin the margin on this one was. If Kansas City's continued postseason success is proof of anything, it's that as long as you have an elite quarterback and some star playmakers, you don't need the NFL's most dominant defense. You don't have to be dominant. You just have to be smart. Yeah. We paid the price for not being smart. We came in with the league's number one defense. That's not what it took to beat this team because this defense was a shell of itself. And yet that didn't matter. That didn't matter. We were there. We had the lead.
2: Yeah, it's been shown this postseason that the best quarterbacks can rip apart the best defenses. We took apart the number two ranked defense in what is considered to be the perfect offensive performance. And then the following week, we play an elite quarterback... And he torches us. That's what happens. He torches us
1: and we shoot ourselves in the foot. And usually that's a death sentence. And instead we have to lead. So don't tell me that this doesn't work. <sighs> Gabe Davis, Gabe Davis, after a season of being marginalized, puts his stamp on NFL history. And in the process illustrated that the future of the Buffalo skill positions is probably a pretty bright one. His performance That's one for the ages, and when you watch the way he did it, it's not just a box score. It's a thing of beauty because he illustrated a mastery of a number of techniques that, first of all, nobody thought he could do. That's why he went in the fourth round of the draft, and it showed off that he's really just, I don't know, he's coming to his own. He's got this rare blend of physical traits that make him a super encouraging player going forward. Our touchdown with less than two minutes in the second half, the route Davis runs is so crisp and he cuts across the defender's face so hard that he falls down trying to keep up with him the guy fell on his ass it was embarrassing his speed to consistently be behind the safeties and have them playing basically without leverage because he's because his size his reach and allen's ability to put the ball out in front of him you can't teach that he just has it and then look at the hands Zero drops on 10 targets. The fact that he finished the game with at least one reception against every single starting defensive back the Chiefs put on the field, there was nobody who had an answer for Gabe Davis in this game. Because at six foot four with route running like that in hands, he's a matchup nightmare. He might not ever be Stephon Diggs. He might never be the guy who you can routinely go to. But when you pair him with a Stephon Diggs, why do you think he only had uh, seven yards, Chris. Stefan Diggs. Why do you think that happens?
2: Well, that's who the uh, Chiefs probably were targeting. Like we yeah. can't let we can't get beat by Diggs, but then oh, there's this other guy that's there's is this gonna, other
1: guy like, who's capable of some really prolific shit.
2: And they probably didn't think that because of how Davis has been utilized throughout most of the season.
1: That's a fair point. He's coming into his own as a young under the radar player in this league. And next season, year three, that's usually where wide receivers take, quote unquote, the next step. You could see something special from this kid. I think he's established himself, at least with our quarterback and in this offense and with the talent around him. He proved that those seven
2: touchdowns last year were not a fluke, not a fluke. Yeah. Maybe that's just a sign of what he's capable of. He's this generation's peerless price. (laughs) It's what he is As long as he doesn't leave Buffalo Yeah, and go to Atlanta (laughs) And then come back and then retire
1: And then there's just
2: Josh Allen
1: There's just Josh fucking Allen With a capital F and a capital G in the end That was one of the most heroic quarterback performances I'll ever see with my own two eyes. And I think it makes it more heartbreaking to me that we're once again having to see that shocked, disappointed, just haunted look on our quarterback's face. Because in this one, there literally was nothing more he could have done. You're talking about a matchup against a player heralded as the current gold standard of quarterback play. Allen was arguably more impressive considering all the chaos going on around him. In a world where people have been debating the arm strength of Mahomes versus Allen, To the point that there's jokes about, like they themselves have joked about having a throwing competition before one of their games. Allen put his ridiculous arm tailing on display over and over again. Tight window throws, aggressive down the field throws, working the deep middle where their secondary was supposed to be the strongest. Meanwhile, that was not a part of the Chiefs game plan. The Chiefs said, listen, those safeties, they're all pros. We stay away from them. Now, luckily for them, our linebackers had their worst professional evening. But they were scared of challenging us in that regard. And Allen looked at them and said, hey, you guys are supposed to have great safeties. Let's see how this works. And literally just doused them in gasoline and set them on fire. That touchdown pass, the 75-yarder to Gabe Davis, hot. that's a thing of beauty. Over them mountains. It was the, it was the moment where he became the thing I never thought he would be. The, a true equalizer. Right? The Uh, equalizer. A quarterback so fucking talented that when things are slanted against us, he can single-handedly yank us back into the mix. Right? And then put us over the top. Because his desire to win is too strong and he has too much physical ability for even some of the best defensive players to deny him. At the top of the show, we played the clip from Rich Eisen. Now, I didn't hear that until sitting down here at this table to record. That's how unplugged and off the grid I've been after the chaos of all this. What
2: are you? What were you, What were your thoughts when you first heard it, Chris? I mean, it's 100% correct. Like, I know we lost the game, but like I said earlier, I've never been more confident that Josh Allen is going to bring this city a Super Bowl and we will all... Riot, and then at that point we're probably going to have to go to Philadelphia, where they filmed Rocky. You know the Rocky steps, and you're going to have to put two beers in your hand and throw yourself backwards down the stairs.
1: Oh, I thought you meant we we're going to go to Philadelphia and riot there too, because
2: <laughs> <I don't, laughs> just well,
1: why not? Well, it's well, Philly, no one would. First of all, no one would notice because it's Philly. I d- mean, that's
2: there's audio that exists way back in Rockpile Reporter history where you said if the Bills draft Josh Allen, I will grab a beer for each hand, and then launch myself backwards down a flight of stairs. Well... Look at that. Josh Allen, he's... I don't know how anybody could say anything bad about Josh Allen now. Like, he is the man, like Rich Eisen said... We're going to be in this thing. We're going to have these kinds of runs, whether it's, you know, a divisional round exit, a Super Bowl win, a championship round exit. Like, we're in this thing for the next 10 to 15 years. Like, buckle the fuck up. We're in it.
1: I hate saying this, but I agree with you. I hate I hate agreeing with you about anything, right? Knowing that we have that player, a guy who can walk into this game and account for six first downs with his legs, which was a team high, no running back can, no running back and touch him throw for another 15 first downs more than 300 yards without committing any glaring mistakes when the lights are the brightest and the stage is the biggest that goes such a long way towards activating just just, just act there's something in us chris that's a salve in the wounds of a football team who Hasn't had a quarterback be able to do something like that for us in over a decade. Two decades. Almost, what, What? three? You want to go back to the 90s? That's the last time we had a guy who could just do this for us. And, I don't know. In the aftermath of the game, McDermott, it was kind of hilarious to me. Today, I see the ESPN thing scroll across the top of my phone, and so I roll it down. It says, McDermott tells the press, Josh Allen will, quote-unquote, be in the loop. And no decision will be made without Josh. That was his response when he was asked what would happen at offensive coordinator if Brian Dable were to take one of the head coaching vacancies that he's been tied to. That's one of the most hilarious statements to me. (laughs) It's not only a no brainer, but after this performance, I've become convinced that, yes, Allen's growth happened under Sean McDermott's watch and within the structure of the team that he built. But right now it's Sean McDermott and his staff that are riding Josh Allen's coattails to a certain degree. And when it comes to their star quarterback, his play lets them get away, get away with a lot of questionable decision making when the pressure's on. And unfortunately I bit them in the ass at the end of Sunday's game. I Chris you're damn right you'll run that by Josh Allen. you and, and you'll address him by sir. <laughs> you will address him by sir.
2: If you make any changes to the social media department, run it by Josh. Analytic department, run it by Josh. Uh, if you're going to get new maintenance people in there that, like, pick up the garbage, run it by Josh.
1: This game was his Captain Ph- Captain Phillips moment where he looked at everybody on the sideline and just said, Listen, look at me. You see see me? I am the captain now. <laughs> That's it. That's Josh Allen in a nutshell. And I can't even imagine that in the aftermath of this, how could you look Josh in the eyes, let alone think that he shouldn't be and won't be consulted on all things moving forward? I mean, they're lucky to have him. Earlier this year, I called him Thanos because he just feels inevitable. And he was every bit of that on Sunday, even though it wasn't good enough for reasons completely out of his control to propel us into the championship game here at Ralph Wilson Stadium. He took that game and illustrated that if they, can have, if they can ever just get their shit together around him, there's no telling what he's capable of doing or how long he can do it for. And I think that if anybody has any reason to feel good about this, it's that right there. <sighs> now, Chris, I toast. Raise your glass. I know it's just filled with your average Pepsi. You don't get any of this delicious moosehead. Here. In fact, I'll open a second one just for you. Great, thanks. We're all feeling down, but as the Pettiest Bills podcast, and I do mean pettiest, we'd be remiss if we didn't take this opportunity to revisit the people who have it worse than Bills fans.
0: Fuck you both. Your lives are so fucking pathetic. I ran a charity 15K to raise awareness for it, you fucking losers. (laughs)
1: <laughs> chris one of the better Lenny letter kenny moments
2: yeah can't go wrong with shortsy
1: <laughs> chris it is hard to believe that somebody out there might be hurting worse than us right yep okay it's it really does seem almost inconceivable and yet our lives are pretty good when you compare them to these suckers uh first of all any team in the afc that has quarterback questions This might be one of the biggest and best things we walk away from this game with. There's a lot of people who are stuck looking up at Allen and Mahomes, and they're going, oh no, we're going to be here for a really, really long time. (laughs) I mean, there's some franchises that are literally questioning everything in the aftermath of this game. Denver. Look, let's start it at the top. Our division rivals. Imagine knowing that Tua... Zach Wilson or Mac Jones are going to have to compete with that. This offseason performance Josh Allen just put on, you're going to go toe-to-toe with that for the foreseeable future. What do you think about the odds that Josh Allen outlasts all three of these guys? It's 100%. So you don't even want to make a secret spit out of it? No. Imagine being the fan of a football team who's hoping that your rookie quarterback can develop quickly enough or that you as a franchise can somehow put together a super group on defense to slow Josh Allen down while your quarterback tries to pilot an offense with training wheels on it. What are the odds of that happening?
2: They're not good. No. No, I think, well, we as a division tried to do that, like create super defensive lines to go after Brady.
1: Yeah, because we all sucked at quarterback.
2: Here, think of all the investments that Miami made. Sue and Mario Williams, us also Mario Williams, Jerry Hughes, Darius. What did Who did the Jets have? Le-
1: oh, they Leonard. had uh, Leonard Will the Leonard Williams. They had Muhammad Wilkerson. They had Sheldon Rankins. Uh, not Sheldon Rankins. Uh, Sheldon Richardson. Sheldon Richardson. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of investment got made on defensive lines all over the place. And look and sec- at it. It did <laughs> And the Jerry's birds of the world. And it just—it was a constant revolving door of saying, "Okay, we know we're never going to find a quarterback that good, so let's pivot." No, 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 nope, no, not, not good enough. Uh, how about his draft classmates? Can you imagine being a Browns or Raven fan watching that game? The Browns, who took Baker Mayfield number one overall and could have had Josh Allen. At this point, there's no way they can possibly feel like they live in a universe where their guy, whose own payday is rapidly approaching, could outduel this version of Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes in a meaningful game. There can't be. And at the same time, Baltimore's former MVP, who everyone keeps existing, is better than Josh Allen, to the point where Bill Barnwell, (laughs) remember that summer? Oh, Remember, yeah. Bill Barnwell first tried to publicly shame us because I came at him with data. Raw data. That from he didn't look at. It. 2018 and 2019 season where I was like, listen, you keep insinuating that we'd be better going into 2020 with this guy. He sucks throwing the ball to wide receivers. He can literally only throw to his tight ends. And he tried to shit all over me. Then he tried quote tweeting it and sharing it with the Internet as like, "Oh, Look at these oblivious Bills fans. Well, we gained like 200 followers in the process. A lot of them from the Ravens fan base, to be honest. and then, at the same time, then I made fun of his sideburns and he blocked us. <laughs> I mean to be fair, it's Aaron Quinn's fault I made fun of.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'd like to we we should make a, a list of uh people that were blocked by.
1: Yeah, it's got to be. It's Bill, we, we don't block people, so yeah. it's got to be bigger than our own list.
2: Yeah, we we have no, we have never blocked anybody, nor will we, because we'll just go, no. we'll just go lower than you, yeah. and you'll block us. If you
1: take, if you take the, <laughs> if you decide to take the subway, I will build a new one. <laughs> I will build a new one underneath you. But so here's the thing: I pointed out that here's a quarterback who's not as good, even though you think he is, because he just won the MVP. Jackson has failed to recapture that magic. And despite being named to a Pro Bowl this year, didn't top 3,000 yards passing and threw 16 touchdowns to 13 interceptions. Say what you want about yardage because he didn't play much down the stretch. 16 touchdowns to 13 picks. I don't like those ratios, Chris. I'm no mathematician, but that sounds bad. That sounds pretty bad. Meanwhile, our guy is locked down for the foreseeable future and is clearly the best answer to the question... Who can rival Patrick Mahomes? Meanwhile, their guys are giant, expensive, potentially expensive question marks that they're going to have to spend this entire summer hand wringing over. And then there's just the people on the outside looking in like I said Denver earlier. Oh, yeah. Denver, Pittsburgh, Indy. They're like the kids on the bus who like, I, I don't know. Like you pull up, like hey, hey, this kid's getting off the bus at school. And it's the summertime, and this kid gets out and he's got an in-ground pool. Yeah, and those kid, that kid on the bus, who's like, we don't even have a window air conditioner. <laughs> we have fans. We have fans, and my mom yelling at us <laughs> to get outside. <laughs> That's what they are. I look at what they have. They, they, you've got a Wentz situation in Indy that doesn't seem good. It didn't. They didn't make the playoffs, and they gave up a first round pick in the process. And they've got a massive cap number tied to this guy. But if they get rid of him, who's the, who's the quarterback? Jake Beeson. Oh, good. Bring me a rookie. Bring me that. Uh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's a team that, like, you're used to seeing perennially contend. What's your answer after however many, well, what, what was Roethlisberger's rookie year? 04. I think okay, it's so the 04, 04 class. To, so you're talking... 17. 17 years? Yeah. Now what? Now what? Haskins,
2: <laughs> ah! or you draft? Uh, what's uh, it? Kenny Pickett? Oh no! Why? Uh, oh no! No, you Ken- draft him, Kenny Pickett, Kenny Pickett, out of out of Pittsburgh. Oh Jesus! Yeah, I'm sure that'll go well.
1: Yeah, uh, Denver, Denver, great defense, decent running game.
2: They're trying to get terrible quarterback. They're trying to get Aaron Rodgers. Oh, good. You know that Nathaniel Hackett has uh, had two interviews to be their head coach. Oh, boy. And him and Rodgers are tight. So Rodgers to Denver. Jesus.
1: It's uh, I, all I know is, is that everybody else is looking around going, shit, <laughs> his performance really just put us all on our asses. Also, some other people who are used to being put on their asses, but it just keeps happening. The Washington football fan uh, fan base they They announced that they're releasing their new team name, Chris.
2: Can you imagine rooting for a football team that
1: doesn't have a name?
2: Yeah. What is, do we know what it's going to be? Has it been rumored? It's been leaked a little bit. I heard Commanders. I don't know. We're about four skins? <laughs>
1: Washington. You're such an idiot. I know three things about this situation, dude. And each one is a little bit more hilarious than the next. I and mean, first of all, most of the good names are off the table because their owner sucks and pissed off people with deep pockets who are just as petty as we are. Chris, I almost want to reach out to the guy who bought up all of the names and do- like you all know the that, domain. Right?
2: Yeah, all the domain names,
1: all the domain names, all of the actual names that the, the Redskins could have pivoted to after their name change. He bought them all up, filed copyrights for all of them, and then offered, he, he has over a hundred of them, and offered to give them to the NFL, but only if Dan Snyder can't ever profit off of their usage. <laughs> like, that's, that is cold as ice. I want to have that guy on the podcast. I want to talk to him because, man, see, that's the type of stuff I would do, Chris, if I was a millionaire. <laughs> that's what I would do with my money. Also, this process wouldn't be such a circus if their owner, Dan Snyder, wasn't such an insufferable jerk, which is still hilarious. Like, you did this. You did this to your entire fan base the same way you keep doing bad things to your fan base. And the best part is no matter what name they go with, you know that like everything else, the rollout and the design of this thing is just going to piss their fans off. Because at the end of the day, everything that franchise touches is, det- is destined to turn to shit. From Steve Spurrier, to the Albert Hainsworth deal, to RG3, to the Sean Taylor Memorial Service that they set up and did the group photo in front of a bunch of porta-potties. Everything this team touches is crap. Chris, I want to take a moment of silence for the poor bastards who have to support that team. All right, thank you. And now... Some people that I actually do a fan base. I really do feel sorry for Saints fans. I mean, Chris, I, I really do feel bad for Andrew Juge and our friends over at the Saints happy hour podcast. He just had to release a 12 minute YouTube video talking about the retirement of their head coach. (laughs) And I think about this fresh off what I've referred to as their quote-unquote Todd Collins season, where the Saints took their cap medicine by hemorrhaging talent, saw Ian fucking Book. Ian Book. For anybody who knows college football, Ian Book. Notre Dame great. Notre Dame great. NFL (gasps) skid mark. (laughs) He had to start a game at quarterback for him. He was one of like five quarterbacks to start a game for the Saints this year and somehow, despite all the dysfunction, managed to remain competitive into the final month of the year. The thing sustaining throughout all this for their entire fan base, the thing that got them through, that helped them fall asleep at night, was just this idea that their Hall of Fame quarterback might be gone, but they still had one of the best, most innovative head coaches in the game a guy who was capable of taking that crap roster and somehow beating Tom Brady twice with it. That combined with cap to burn, options at quarterback, and a whole offseason to fill their roster holes, they could probably make another run at prominence. And then today, out of nowhere, Sean Payton announces that he's stepping aside and leaving the team. I I I feel like it would be hard not to see this a lot like the... uh, like that scene, Dumb and Dumber. I've had it with this dump. We've got no food. we got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. I reached out to Andrew Juge just to see how he was doing, and the only thing he replied with, I don't think he's come back with anything more than that. was just, Dumb. I asked him, I go, buddy, how are you doing? Are you okay? And he just said, I'm depressed. And I mean, I told him, I go, look, I'm stunned. We had a head coach quit on us, but that guy never won a ring. He just ate a lot of baloney and fought with our best defensive end. <laughs> Chris, can you imagine what it's like to be in the shoes of a team who's like, all right, guys, we did the hard thing. Now it's time to knuckle down and we'll really get back to work and rebuild this. Oh, wait. our Oh, everybody's gone now.
2: Yeah, why wouldn't, why wouldn't Sean Payton leave? I mean, he didn't want to sit there through a rebuild. He's going to take the uh, 2022 season off and then... He'll come back in 23 when the Cowboys' fighter Mike McCarthy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you think he'd go to Dallas?
2: Yeah. Oh God. That's where the Saints picked him off from. Was the, the Dallas staff?
1: And I'd I, I'd be remiss, Chris, if I didn't name the biggest, the biggest one out there, the the silver tuna of people who have it shittier than Bills fans. That's Tom Brady. Oh, oh, Tom Brady, quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. My favorite part about this one, unlike the last two guys we just talked about, I have zero sympathy for this one. He can go die in a fire. I don't care. It, It must suck going into a pivotal game and watching your team go down by 24 points in the first half. Right, Chris? Yep. Just to be tra- to be trailing in to- in Raymond James Stadium by twenty four points, that must be a really terrible place to be, and then only to stage this ridiculous rally at the end of the game and come up just short.
2: <laughs> I had the had the I had the game on in my uh on my Bluetooth headphones at work. As that uh, final drive for the Rams was happening, and uh, Stafford hit Cup on that deep ball down the middle, and I just start laying on the horn on my truck, and then like other people at work are looking at me. I'm like, oh, Brady, he's losing! Brady, he's out! Brady's out of the (laughs) playoffs! My favorite, I I think the icing on this
1: cake, this delicious cake, is that it's a game where the officiating really seemed to leave a lot on the table. I mean, Brady himself was flagged after he took what looked like a pretty aggressive hit to the face where he's bleeding, and he gets up and looks at the ref, head, head referee Sean Hockley. Now, Chris, remember what we said about the Hockley family and their love of throwing flags? Yeah. They didn't call a flag on that play. Tom Brady took umbrage with it, and he got flagged for saying something to the official. How how perfect is that? I'm it's not going to lie to you. But I love it. I couldn't go back and rewatch this Bills game because it was too painful. But I did watch the hell out of that sequence. I went back and watched it on Game Pass. I was like, I need to see this. I need to see how Tom Brady instigated a flag <laughs> for crying about a cheap shot. <laughs> oh. Tom, allow me to take out the smallest violin. And play you the saddest song ever written. The best thing here is hearing that he's non committal about playing in 2022. Now, that might, just, that might just be him posturing, but the team has already said that all options are on the table for them in terms of the 2022 season. So while the Bills might have lost this weekend and our season might be over, I just might have gotten my wish that Pete Manning. Went out on top as a champion and in true sheriff style rode off into the sunset like Hondo or Roy Rogers. Meanwhile, Brady might have just played his last NFL snap and just has to unceremoniously slink off the field, covered in the stink of defeat and off into the annals of NFL history. Chris, to celebrate the very idea of that, I don't know how likely it is, but just to celebrate the idea, we have a special beverage here in studio tonight.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Yep. Uh pretty fly for a Rye Guy. I'll hand you the can. You can read the uh Well, I love the fact that it's got uh, the this the
1: walking down the stairs sequence from the big Lebowski. Yeah. Like, that's what's indicated. That's what's pictured on the can. It's made by Resurgence Brewing here. Collaboration, pretty, Jesus, pretty fly for a rye guy. Not a rye IPA, New England style IPA. 6.4 EBV.
2: Yep. If you need to know the guy's name, there's the, uh, on the screen, Drew. On the screen, there's his, that's how you say his hey, name.
1: John Tarazowitz. Man.
2: Yeah. I- Irish guy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Yep, yes, he's,
1: Polish last
2: yeah, he's a, a former co-worker of my girlfriend's, and uh, he won a contest, yes. oh, 60 entries, and won by popular vote. The can says, recipe. it's 2021
1: Dude Hates Cancer Homebrew Contest. The recipe created by John Tarazowicz, this beer took first place in the 2021 The Dude's Homebrew Competition, a Lebowski-themed charity event hosted by Resurgence that raises money for blood cancer research. This is a New England-style IPA that features citra and mosaic hops, cascade hops that add floral, blah, blah, blah. It matches a tropical fruit, a whole bunch of it. Not a rye IPA. The name is inspired by Ryan Baker and his love of... Okay. Okay, so it's not about having rye in it. That actually got me excited at first, because I was like, I love
2: rye beers. (sighs) Did you mess up the can? Yeah, it just didn't open. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. It didn't open. There. That's why we got tools over here on the <laughs> podcast table. Drew breaks the the can. There we go. There. Listen, I'll just gnaw through that thing. You, you see these choppers? Yeah, you can just gnaw. Can get in there. Gnaw through it. Give it a give it a sip. Ooh,
1: ooh, smell that. Let's they talk here. about floral hops. They ain't joking.
2: I can smell the hops in that.
1: Smell the hops? It smells fruity. It's... Mm. So that was a homebrew?
2: Yeah, it was a homebrew. He won a homebrew contest and then... What home? I want to go move in with this guy. He's making this in his house? Well, Resurgence made it. So he did so they it, took his recipe, They took his recipe and then put it through a professional setup.
1: Well, you tell them that if I find out where this beer's getting made resurgence. No, um, no, 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 no. If you I find out where it's if I find out where John Tarazowicz lives, he's in a lot of trouble. <laughs> he's in a lot of trouble because I'm going to be over all the time. <sighs> That's a damn good beer. A damn good beer to end a damn good season, Dad. Chris, I think I'm in a better mood now, and I'm in a I'm in a good place now that we I got my pettiness out. We we talked about a lot of things. I think I think it's time to end this. Our final thoughts. What are yours, Chris? It
2: was a great season. I mean, I would have loved to have gone on, but good to know that Josh Allen is the fucking man, and we're going to be contenders for years to come. And He's going to bring us to Super Bowl. Going to bring us to Super Bowl. I'll put a 12-pack of Seagram's on it.
1: I'm going to take that bet.
2: It's COVID. Dang. Just hand It's pound. COVID.
1: We're hand-pounding. Hand-pound. Chris, I can't help but think, in the aftermath of this, just, just to kind of, if we're going to encapsulate what I thought and where I am and how I got to where I am here, sitting here laughing about it during this podcast today, I want to walk a road with you guys, but it starts, and I know you're probably all annoyed about it already, with 13 seconds. All motion must be defined relative to a frame of reference, and that space and time are relative rather than absolute concepts. That's the theory of relativity from Albert Einstein. 13 seconds probably sounds like nothing to most people. <laughs> but ask any one of those guys wearing our uniforms about it. That 13 seconds probably felt like hours, And for us fans, <laughs> it'll probably feel like an eternity. That phrase is going to be scrawled on a metaphorical banner representing yet another Buffalo Bills football atrocity that's going to hang in our just overflowing trophy case of them. And while you'd think that we'd be numb to it by now, this one hurts so much. I don't know, it just hurt. It hurts so much more than so much of what's gone wrong over the last 20 years, because it shouldn't have happened. And it's just another piece of disappointment for a fan base that can't seem to find an NFL season that doesn't end with one. I mean, I think Anthony Guitar, who follows us on Twitter, Anthony on Guitar, Anthony on Guitar, said it best in the aftermath of this. I'm sick for Allen who is absolutely perfect. I'm sick for Davis, who can't enjoy a career night. I'm sick for us fans who have to again be gracious losers of a historic game that will be brought up for generations as another fan base is gifted with what they already felt entitled to. I that that's a hard one. It's a hard one because the Chiefs fans, Chris, they've become the new Patriots fans. And it's almost enraging to see, right?
2: Yeah. Like, I'd like
1: to think that we're grounded enough that if we won one Super Bowl, we wouldn't just we wouldn't turn into a bunch of raging assholes. And yet they have they've the sense of entitlement. And you hit the nail on the head when you said on social media that. The reason that so much of the vitriol other fan bases have about the Chiefs, some of it just comes from Mahomes' own wife and his brother. They stir up a lot of negative emotions towards the team, towards him, towards all of this stuff. They vilify him simply by association. But there is a sense of entitlement. There's a cockiness. We talked about it with EJ when we had him on the podcast, why we don't have Kansas City guests on anymore. Because that one interview we did, what, you guys won one Super Bowl and all of a sudden your shit doesn't stink? There was a reason that I really After that interview with Ryan Tracy last year, I thoroughly enjoyed watching them get their shit kicked in in that Super Bowl because you he, he was so cocky in that interview with us that I, I just couldn't I, it didn't sit well with me. And I've and, and I'm seeing it play out on social media. I'm seeing it in their just responses to things. I just, in the aftermath of the game, I went home. First of all, Hugo, Hugo, listener from Portugal, was here on the podcast. He paid hard-earned money to buy Skype time to call me on the phone so that we could talk about the game. And just to check in and see if I was okay. Like, that's... (laughs) First of all, that almost makes me sound like a Chris, doesn't that kind of paint me as a lunatic? Yeah. But also, it it just it underscores how much this meant to people. I went home and I watched the movie Green Street Hooligans because there was no way I was going to sleep after that. And I kept seeing, I walked away from it with this thing. There's the character, the major. You know, they keep talking throughout the movie about the major. And back when the firm was tough and when we were in our glory days, it was because the major was here. But we're going to get back to prominence and we're going to do all these things. And then you find out that it was the brother of Charlie Hunnam's character who seemed like this straight-laced businessman who used to be this hardcore soccer hooligan who retired from it because... He was like, look, I have a son now and I have a family and I had to retire that lifestyle if they were going to have any kind of quality of life. So the next day I'm walking around and I wake up and, you know, my son goes off to daycare and I come home and I'm just home and I'm working on things and I'm, I'm I'm it was one of the most productive days I've ever had because I was completely unplugged I was off the grid there was no cell phone there's I listened I was listening to offensive comedy podcasts and I was ignoring everything football packing away the tailgate gear and I just kept thinking to myself and then and then I went to the store right because I saw my son at that party at that playoff game party that we were talking about earlier and how excited he gets when he even sees the Bills logo. The way he knows how to celebrate touchdowns and first downs and the way he goes, oh, when something bad happens. And he's not even two yet. This line starts to form in my head and I start thinking to myself, what am I doing here? Am I wrong? Should I? I I, I had something of an existential crisis because in my head I'm thinking, Am I doing something terrible to my son right now by dragging him down this road with me? I'm thinking to myself, do I need two people in this house and maybe a third? Because if me and Jack are
2: in. My next son has no chance. You know, you could capitalize on all this if you wanted to with Fisher Price. (laughs) Financially, Like, if you think financially about this, imagine if they had, like, the Fisher-Price bar setup that Jack could have <laughs> that comes with a bar top, two stools, and the stools are, like, uh, kind of breakable, <laughs> so Jack learns <laughs> to pick up a bar stool.
1: Rather than hit a person? Yeah. Yeah, just destroy property, not people, son. No, it, it went through my head. What am I dragging him into? What, what am I doing here? And it made me question my approach. I'm not going to lie. This is the first time in a long time my fandom of this football team has ever been shaken. And it was literally seeing the way he is about this football team and knowing what last this Sunday night did to me emotionally. Am I cursing him with this? So. In the aftermath of that, I just did a lot of stuff around the house. I packed up things. I put together a double stroller, which if anyone's ever done that, it's a pain in the ass. And I bought and set up a kitchen set for my son because I wanted him to have
2: just like what I I was talking
1: about, a bar set up. I just wanted to surprise. I I needed to see him happy. You know, my old my old thing used to be if the Bills lost a terrible game, I would just drink and watch whatever nonsense I could just shut my brain off to for a while. I do that now. Yeah, I know. And yet, for me now, as a father, it's become, I want to do something because seeing him happy is going to fix whatever's wrong inside of me. Whatever I'm feeling down about, if I can see him happy, that almost becomes a salve for my wounds. (laughs) It almost helps me out of the other side of this. And I had this really nihilist conversation with Ryan Lasel from Rock Sports Network today. Where I was essentially laying out the fact that I laid out all of this, you know, the, the, the stuff that I said earlier about the Chargers and just how growth isn't linear. And that <laughs> all of this, there is no guarantee that it's going to get any better. And Ryan's response to me was, why would you keep doing this then? <laughs> he says, because I know that if, if for me, I have to have hope or I can't do this anymore, I, I just wouldn't do it. And I mean, Chris, that is the question. Why would you keep doing this? Right? Yeah. I. That all of these moments combined together and everything I've thought about over the last 36 hours without looking at a single scrap of football, without reading anything, no tweets, no Twitter, no nothing. I mean, this was the least amount of prep work I've ever done for a podcast. And I, I guess it starts here. Sports. To me, they're a form of escapism, but wrapped up in there, specifically when it comes to adversity, I feel like they provide something of a, I don't know, something of a corollary to real life in terms of just how you face it and how you overcome it and how you deal with the fallout when you don't, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can't say that being a Bills fan has made me a tougher person but there's something in there that seems to go hand in hand with that because a childhood and adulthood spent suffering at the hands of this thing and bouncing right back has helped me navigate a lot of real life atrocities cuz you've been there a long you've you've had them too heartbreak uh, getting kicked out of school after finishing a semester with a 0.98 GPA because I was depressed and genuinely just felt rudderless in life. Losing so many people close to me from the time I was 12 to the age of 36 that I'm genuinely somewhat numb to this concept of mortality. Now, those of you who are sitting at home and are in your car or at your desk or listening to this, there's shit that's happened to you that's made you question everything. And it doesn't have to be big, it doesn't have to be earth-shattering, but it's there. And it can rattle the foundations of what you believe and what you think you're capable of continuing on with. It changes how you see the world. Being able to keep getting back in the ring with this football team, just like all the times I've put my life back together (laughs) after it felt like everything was falling apart, they come from the same place and honestly might be just as important as each other because it speaks to a kind of toughness that you can't teach by explaining it. There's a moment in the four falls of Buffalo where Scott Nor- with, regarding Scott Norwood that brings tears to my eyes. There's a moment in the four falls of Buffalo with Scott Norwood that brings tears to my eyes. Whenever I see it, it's these guys with their kids outside of city hall who are chanting for Scotty to come outside because they knew he was hiding out there in the back. And they talked to one guy who brought his kid, and he said he brought him to show him that around here we embrace failure because inevitably we're all going to fail. And you don't cast your teammates off or you don't tear people down because they failed trying to do something for you. You do what you can to lift them up. And that's not just in sports, but it's in life.
2: Chris, you've had your chair of disappointments. My whole life is a disappointment. <laughs> that's what my mom tells me. She does not. Your mom loves you.
1: <laughs> I mean, literally, what it comes down to is that life is tough, and heartbreak and failure, th- those things are inevitable. Getting up off the ground again makes you human. But embracing, right, not just not just doing it again, but embracing the almost overwhelming odds of it happening again. If only so that you can wade back into the chaos and chase the hopes of those highs. Right. Real accomplishment, something that the Bills gave us multiple times this season. I know they did for me personally. That's what makes getting out of bed worth it. Right. Right. Yes. I mean that, that, That's what being a Bills fan is all about. It's what makes us special, both as fans of this city and fans of this football team. And whether or not they ever make it to a Super Bowl, the juice has always been worth the squeeze in a way that this singular setback can't really diminish. So here I am having this crisis of mine, and I realize it's all over. It's all conflated in my own head. My son is going to love this thing because I love it. Or maybe you won't. I don't know. Chris, maybe he'll grow up to be better than me. He already is. (laughs) Maybe he'll be a better person than I am. He will, as long as you get him braces. What I do know is that there's something about being a fan of this football team that I wouldn't trade for anything. Because whether or not it's the thing that gave me the ability to to bounce back from so many other losses and so many other failures... It seems like the two go hand in hand. There's a toughness that you have to have in order to be a a real fan of this football team. You know, we talk about gatekeeping and fandom. You have to be tough. This team will weed out those who don't have it. (laughs) They they will put you through the ringer. But that just means that when we get there, it'll be that much sweeter, right? Yep. Yep. This has been one of my favorite seasons of podcasting. One of my favorite seasons of being a Bills fan. I can't wait to share that with my son as he gets older. And regardless of whether this team gets over the hump next season or the next or the next, or maybe not ever, I'm grateful for my ability to get back out there alongside them as a fan and continue sitting here talking to all of you, just sharing the trip. (laughs) Having a good time with this this ridiculous run we're on. I don't know what's gonna happen. Twenty twenty-one was one for the record books, though. Twenty twenty-one was a season that we we crossed lines we didn't think we ever would. We slayed dragons we didn't think we could. We established ourselves as a football team in a way that I don't think most fans when you thought about what most fans thought. Considered possible at the beginning of the season, Chris, even amidst all the talk about us being Super Bowl picks and all of this stuff. Did you ever think that we'd assert ourselves as the power in the AFC East?
2: Not like the way we have to end this season.
1: Did you ever think that we'd be the team that
2: earned not just the respect,
1: but maybe a little bit of fear from the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, they're going to fear us next year for sure. Then that's it. Then this season has been an exce- It's been a success. And I don't, I don't know what to say other than I'm going to have a beer in each hand, and I'm going to drink real deeply to that one.
2: Yes, and also with drinks, as this ends another year of Beer Watch. Do you have any guesses of your total? Well,
1: um, I don't know. We've been recording for approximately an hour and 35 minutes. And I know that I have six here, and I'm going to have at least one more.
2: This is the end of the podcast, so it's the end of Beard. So what you have in your hand, you're done. I'm talking All about right. the whole season. Do you know your number? Nope. Any guesses? Nope. Why don't you tell? 200. I know I'm over two. You are over
1: 200. Did I flirt with, did I flirt with three? No,
2: you weren't even close. <sighs> All right. Well... Maybe next year. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe next year. Uh you finished this year with two hundred and nine beers. You had it's a good haul. You had let me look at this. You had uh nine weeks of ten beers. That was your the, the most consistent number. Nine of the weeks this year you had ten beers, and then uh we will shout out uh Matt Paccio. His guess was two seventeen and then Mike Swenson was even closer at 214. So he was. Oh, my. Swenson. Swenson was five beers off of him getting. I would have gotten. I would have. Swenson, Swenson. Swenson, if you would have guessed it correctly, I would have sent you beer glasses with Drew shirtless on them. <laughs> That's what I would have done. I would have. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the uh, restrictions are for you having custom beer glasses in Australia, but.
1: I'll tell you this, sir. When you get up here next, Swenson. Don't don't worry about what you win for being read about Beer Watch. We'll we'll take care of you. We'll we'll get you squared away. Now he's close. He's five off. Guys, great season. But it ain't over yet because we have our 2021 season recap show with Nate Geary next week. We're going to take a look at this thing in its totality. We're going to give away superlatives. We're going to talk about the highs and lows. We're going to talk about what we learned about these players, about this coaching staff. And then, like Chris said at the top of the show, We've got a ton of content coming out over the next month and a half, two months, three months, then into summer. Pre-free agency, coordinator hires and promotions reviews. I mean, Cap Outlook conversation with Paul Wineski, our free agency primers. There's a lot there. So make sure that you keep following us. But this has been one hell of a run. I'm glad that you all decided to take it with us. But for tonight, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this has been your Rock Report.